0: Welcome to The Jack Duffley Show, a weekly podcast exploring investing, real estate, the markets, law, technology, and everything in between.
1: Here's your host, Jack Duffley. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Good to have you here with me today. Uh, before I actually get into today's episode, just had a couple of reminders. The first one, as always, is to like and comment and leave a review on iTunes, subscribe on YouTube or iTunes so that this show can get a broader audience and get expanded to other people who might be interested in the same sorts of topics that you might be interested in too. And that's why you're listening to this show. So the more engagement we can get on each episode, the broader audience that the show can reach. And I'd be very appreciative if you helped me on that front. The other reminder is that there is still time to join my early readers list for the One Property Retirement. That's the book that I'll be releasing at the end of August of this year. It's specifically about a simple strategy for building your retirement nest egg using real estate. And it's very well tailored towards beginners in real estate investing or those maybe who have a little bit of background but want a different perspective on long term buy and hold real estate investing can really help to get your mind around things and also show you how you can actually get from point A to point B since I break down a lot of the steps for buying a piece of rental property. So definitely check that out if you're at all interested. I'll leave a link in the description below. If you end up joining the early readers list and helping me with the current draft right now and giving me your feedback, you will get a free copy of the final published version when I get around to that in August after I collect all of your valuable feedback. It's definitely, again, if you're interested, check out jackduffley.com com slash O-P-R-book. I'll also include the link in the description of this episode. Without further ado, let's get into it. With me today is Tom Bodica of the Investing with Tom YouTube channel, which focuses mostly on stock investing and more specifically value stock investing, which we'll definitely get into in much greater detail as we get through the show. Um, but he actually just reached 10,000 subscribers on YouTube. so Definitely congrats to you, Tom. Um, but without further ado, if you just want to Tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you're working on right now.
0: Yeah, thanks for that, Jack, and appreciate you having me on. So, um, yeah, like, like you say, I, I run a YouTube channel talking all about value investing. So um, I don't really have a huge finance background or anything like that. I'm sort of just a regular guy working a job who, who discovered this sort of interest in, in stock market investing um and we were just talking sort of before we started recording i think the the youtube channel has been running since sort of late 2018 now and it's um been growing fairly steadily and it's been a um you know the growth's kind of sped up the last few months and um yeah it's been a great kind of experience so far with trying to lock some lessons into my own head in terms of how I, I sort of think about investing, which is uh, a camera definitely reinforces some of those ideas. You find out whether you know something well when you start talking to a camera pretty quickly. So um, yeah, that's a bit of my background. I'm based in New Zealand. Um, there's not a whole lot of stock market channels, I don't think, uh, down under. <laughs> so um, yeah, we've got a got a nice little niche carved out down here.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's your channel covers a lot of great stuff, but just for our listeners who are maybe unfamiliar, what exactly is value investing and how can someone get started with value investing?
0: Yeah, sure. So value investing is basically the philosophy that when you make an investment, um, often it has a stock market focus, but really it applies to real estate or any any asset that produces cash flow. Um, it's basically all about recognizing how much you think that asset is fundamentally worth based on how much cash it's going to return to you um, over its lifetime and then just trying to pay an appropriate price for that. So um, I, I kind of like to put things in a real estate context, even though I'm often looking at, at public companies, um, just because it, it's a nice analogy and I think a lot of people can kind of relate to it. So it's sort of like looking at a rental property. You know, if if a property is going to bring in, say, $10,000 a year after all your expenses, um, you're probably not going to pay like a billion dollars for that. That price just, just wouldn't make sense at all. Um, but you'd be more than willing to pay like fifty thousand dollars for that. That would be a huge return. So it's essentially trying to apply that mindset to stock market investing, looking at what cash a business produces today, um, you know, what it's likely to produce in the future. Does it have some sort of uh, long-term growth trajectory, or is it a newspaper business that's that's co- kind of going downhill? Um, you know, factoring in all those elements and trying to um, buy businesses at at attractive
1: prices, essentially. So, I mean, the concept sounds simple (laughs) because you're you're basically just trying to find something that is underpriced compared to its value. Mm -hmm. But how do you actually go about valuating a stock? I'd assume there's a a number of different methods. I know your channel covers a few of them. Mm -hmm. But when you look at a stock, look at a company or really any asset, what exactly are you looking at? To actually come up with a valuation that you then use to make your decision.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. It's sort of it's simple but not easy. So mm-hmm. um, trying to sort of because uh, a, a lot of valuation is essentially about trying to predict the future, which inherently makes it very difficult. So um, you know, in business school, that would would probably call the methodology that I use a discounted cash flow. So we're essentially looking at um, what are the free cash flows of this business. So if we look at um, you know between now and and you know, 30 or 40 or 50 years time when this company goes bankrupt, um, making some sort of judgment on how much cash it can distribute to its shareholders over that time, and then sort of discounting that back to today at an appropriate interest rate, an appropriate kind of rate of return that you'd like to make on that business. So there's a lot of kind of, thinking that or a lot of research that goes into trying to make reasonable estimates on numbers to kind of put into that type of calculation but that's the basic philosophy it's, it's all about what sort of free cash flow can a business generate um, relative to the price you have to pay
1: so really fundamentally you're looking at stocks as uh, not so much uh, maybe like a, you're not looking at it as like a speculative investment you're looking at it as a revenue stream of some sort and you're making assumptions that whether it be growth or how that revenue stream might change how safe it is that's kind of what you're looking at is that right
0: yeah for sure um it's it's all about kind of uh, you know if you're about to go and buy a rental property or go and buy a private business in your local town um how would you come up with a reasonable price to pay for that you, you'd be looking at how much cash it's going to return to you so um, i think a lot of people can get caught up in the sort of short-term nature of stock markets and get you know caught up in hype and fluctuations and what the price is going to do next week and all that sort of thing. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of taking a step back and I've got more of a long-term mindset about um, if I become fundamentally an owner of this business, um, how would I approach evaluating that company?
1: Right. I mean, because after all, the other side of a stock is a company. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not as though you're just Again, you're not just gambling. You're, you're yep. actually buying into something. Mm-hmm. So when you have that approach, like you're s- suggesting, you inherently have to focus on the long term because businesses operate on the long term. You sure. Unless you're trying to buy Hertz stock in <laughs> yep. its bankruptcy and just trying to guess to see if it's going to go up or down and make total gambles on that. Then yeah, it's a different ballgame. We we're talking about that. But, uh, what kind of are your, what are your investing goals then? Are you, trying to place a certain amount of money into the market every year or are you just looking for opportunities what's kind of your your um your strategy going into it is it just as soon as you see something worth it you pull the trigger or do you kind of have a mix of strategies going into something
0: yeah it's um the making making investments for me personally is very very much and on an opportunistic basis so as companies come up that i think uh um, available at attractive prices I basically pull the trigger immediately um, and because I'm so individual company focused it really um, takes a lot of the kind of macro stuff out of the picture for the most part which to be frank I don't think most people can figure out what's going to go on macro wise in the next few years anyway um, so that's basically the way I approach it I guess there's sort of the personal finance side with how I'm saving money and then there's the investing side um, on the personal finance side, I've got fairly regimented kind of targets of what I want to save, you know, on a fortnightly or annual basis, and that sort of thing. Um, essentially, that money just goes into goes into cash as I save it, um, and as investment opportunities come up, I, I transfer some of that cash across, you know, into my brokerage accounts and and make the investment. So, um, I'm fairly regimented in in terms of putting the money away from my job in the first place, but the actual investment component. Um, you know, I, I might make um I might make no investments in the next six months or I might make five. It just kind of depends on what, what comes up.
1: Yeah, I mean it definitely all starts with saving. That's really any investing ever. Um but you're kind of you're almost the opposite of a lot of the folks who advocate for dollar cost averaging where you just kind of buy at whatever price, whether the market goes up or down. You have a set price, and as soon as it hits that price, you're going into it. Is, is that kind of a good characterization?
0: Yeah, for sure. Yep. Um, yeah, that, that's the way I approach it, basically. Um you know, an analogy I like to use sometimes is I'm trying to buy a dollar for 50 cents. So, um, you know, if, if someone tried to hand you a, a $10 note or a $10 bill, as you guys would call it, um, and, and they offered it to you for $5, you'd take that deal any day of the week um, as aggressively and as at as much scale as you possibly could. So um, it's about trying to apply that similar philosophy. Um, it's... You know, it's it's obviously not as simple as that. Like, you've got to really understand, is this genuinely $10 or is it $3? And I've made some sort of error in my analysis. Um, so that's obviously a large component of it. Um, and I don't think dollar cost averaging is is a bad strategy for the average person. I think you have to have a certain type of mindset um, and passion for investing to even go down this track in the first place. Um you know, if if I wasn't as interested in analyzing businesses and that sort of thing as I am, I'd, I'd probably be dollar cost averaging into an index, which is what I think probably most people should be doing. But um, it's something I'm really passionate about. And there's there's been people that have had a lot of success with it. There's been people that certainly haven't had success as well, which you probably don't hear about very much. Um, but that that's essentially the way I like to think about it.
1: So how do you actually end up finding these companies? Are you valuating stocks? every day do you have just kind of a watch list how, how do you actually find these value plays
0: yeah sure so i've definitely got a watch list um basically there's a few ways that companies come on my on my radar so there are a lot of companies that i think most people would understand fairly uh fairly well right off the bat or at least it wouldn't take them very long to, to get their head around it so um you know the companies that you interact with in your everyday life or you or you're a customer of so um, you know, things like Apple or McDonald's or all those sorts of things that um, you interact with as a customer um, relatively frequently. Um, for me, McDonald's probably more frequently than I should. But, um, you know, there's a lot of businesses that, that I think everyone can probably get their head around fairly quickly. So that's kind of the first category of companies. And basically what I do is I, if I feel like I understand what drives that business well, and I like the business itself, um that goes on a watch list i have kind of a set price that that i would begin to buy shares in that company yet and i just keep an eye on it essentially um and the other way that businesses come on my radar is um pretty random to be honest like you know sometimes i'll get comments in the youtube comment section on have you looked at this company sometimes people will send me emails um that stuff can be a little bit all over the place. Um, I like to check 13F filings, for example. So that's that's quite a big one for me. Um, so for those that don't know, the 13F filing is basically large investors uh, in the US have to disclose what uh, is in their portfolio each quarter. So I can go in and follow, you know, five or six investors that I really admire. Um, and have similar strategies to me, and I can say, you know, have they bought anything this last quarter? Have they sold anything this last quarter? And that's a really good way of generating ideas as well. So there's a few different ways that they come in, but um, all those different, um, all those different places uh, usually keep me busy enough.
1: Yeah, and uh, you had, a, I think you just recently put out a video going over Phil Town, another value investor. You went over his 13F, and you kind of could see all of his holdings and frankly there weren't very many holdings except for a ton of cash and and a few stocks yep. here and there but it just kind of shows you the the way that a lot of value investors play it's they they don't have thousands of different stocks it's just uh, i don't I don't want to put a specific range on it but it's far fewer than your typical index fund ETF it might be 5 to 20 stocks I, i'm not sure how many stocks you invest in tom but uh, it's it sounds like you're watch list and then your portfolio is probably much a much fewer number of stocks compared to like a broad index investor is that right
0: yep definitely um yeah so again it kind of comes back to thinking about things like you know how uh, thinking about it like a private business so you know if you were a if you're a businessman in your local town and you owned several um, car dealerships or mcdonald's franchises or, or whatever um, you probably wouldn't own 200 businesses so it's about trying to understand um, a small handful of businesses really really well um, and that's kind of the, the angle that i approach it from and a lot of value investors approach it from so um, i've probably got the numbers slightly out here but if you were to look at someone like warren buffett's portfolio you'd probably see something like ballpark 50% of his um, public stock portfolio in like five or six companies. Um, he owns a lot more companies than that, but they're much smaller positions. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm less than 10 stocks um, in my main kind of value investing style portfolio. I do own a little bit of ETF stuff as well, which I bought um, kind of when I was first getting started and haven't added to for, for quite a while, but um, I, I, am fairly concentrated and I think that's just part of um, part of the way value investors think about it it's if you if you were to talk to a mutual fund manager um, the average mutual fund manager who owned 200 companies I don't think they could probably even list the names of half the companies they own <laughs> let alone tell you what they do or how they're going in the last 12 months or anything like that so um, it's a very different very different strategy to uh, indexing
1: it sounds like I uh, just want to highlight this because there's a very clear central lesson here, and that's definitely don't invest in something that you don't understand. Mm -hmm. And value investing, especially, you really have to understand the business. If you're ever going to even come close to an accurate valuation is what it sounds like. And that that lesson extends beyond value investing, really investing in anything. Um, Anyone can go and throw money on a random stock. Um, You pointed out in a video recently about uh, inefficiencies in the stock market where a lot of people are investing in the Zoom stock that wasn't actually the Zoom video yes. service. It was a different Zoom it was like a Zoom technologies yep. uh which was a completely different company that they did they're like a cellular device um uh company and people were clearly investing in something they didn't understand. They thought it was one thing and it was actually another, or they just had no idea and just saw the name and saw the stock going up and mm. That obviously can lead to a lot of different problems, so yep. definitely make sure you know what you're getting into when you're investing in anything, um, and do your research and understand what it is. Um, now, pivoting a little bit, uh, talking about your current portfolio, I said you had about 10 stocks and then a couple ETFs on the side, um, but I know you, like a lot of value investors right now, are sitting on a lot of cash. Why is that? Is it just, do you see that everything is overpriced? Um, are you waiting for one thing in particular, or are you, are you just, or do you just prefer to keep a more conservative portfolio?
0: For me personally, in a perfect world, I would have um, sort of an emergency fund of cash, and that would be it, basically. Um, I, I would prefer to be fully invested because um, there's downsides to holding cash. You can't make particularly high returns on it, uh, but there's also upsides to, to hanging on to some cash as well, because if we do see large fluctuations and in markets, um, we have we have a lot of kind of firepower available to pick up shares, you know, at depressed prices. So there's pros and cons. Uh, for me personally, I've got um, I'm guessing a little bit here, but I guess it would be something like thirty percent of the portfolio in cash, maybe even slightly higher at the moment. Um, and that's not really that's not really a bet on me thinking that. Stocks are going to crash in the next month, or anything like that. It's just the nature of the opportunities that have that have come up. Um, I just haven't found anything recently, basically, and I'm continuing to save money, so that cash position sort of naturally goes up. Um, I haven't been selling anything because I think it's massively overpriced or anything like that. I've largely been holding my existing investments, but I've I've done very little um, all year, really.
1: So you're really just building on your current cash cash uh, position, but Really, just staying disciplined, it sounds like. And yep. the, the market conditions don't really matter since you're just looking at individual stocks. Mm-hmm. So yep. it ma- makes sense. And that would help to explain why guys like Warren Buffett are sitting on many billions of dollars of cash um, and what a lot of value investors and really all industries are doing sitting on a bunch of cash waiting for opportunities. Yep. Um, since things. Definitely seem to be getting more and more overpriced by the day <laughs> as, uh, yep. as, yeah. as the economic, situ- economic situation kind of worsens, but stock prices and other asset prices continue to stay high or even rise. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what's on the other side. Um, I actually wanted to talk a little bit more about your your YouTube channel specifically. What inspired you to actually start a YouTube channel and why I do it on stock investing and not something else?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. It's interesting you say why don't I, why don't I do it on something else? Because I've probably had two or three attempts at other things in the past that never took oh, yeah. off. Um, what, what were the, so, what were those? Yeah, on? just a random aside. So I um, for a long time competed in powerlifting actually, and I've got a got a YouTube channel with um, various videos of me lifting weights and all that sort of thing, which are a <laughs> couple of years old now. But um, yeah, I guess why I got started with the investing one, it was it's uh, it's a strange one. So when I first got started in investing, I was very early in my career, so I'd only just sort of finished university um, a few months prior, and I had very little money, so I wasn't in a position to get into real estate or do anything like that at the time. Um, and in New Zealand, I'm I'm really not not sure what it's like in in your part of the world, Jack. But in New Zealand, when you mention investing to basically anyone, and over here. Um, all that comes to their mind is real estate. That's like the only asset class they ever think of. I think stocks are probably much more widely accepted as a typical investment in the US would be my understanding. But um, in New Zealand, that's not really the case. So when I discovered the whole world of stock market investing, um, YouTube was kind of an outlet for me to actually talk about it <laughs> because there's, there's not a whole lot of people in my everyday life that are super familiar with it. Um, so... So that's kind of the initial thing that that got it up and running. Um, like I mentioned earlier, talking to a camera really locks in a lot of the idea, ideas in your head. So that's a major advantage of doing it. Um, and then it's grown and it's become a bit of a kind of side income source for me as well, which which is another um, perk. So um, whole combination of factors, but that's kind of led us to, to where, where we are today.
1: Hey listeners, for my real estate investors out there, check out my free real estate metrics spreadsheet in the show notes so you can quickly analyze potential deals. Cap rate, cash on cash, NOI, loan to value, debt service coverage ratio, cash flow, it calculates them all instantly. The spreadsheet even comes with a full mortgage calculator and amortization schedule. Get all of your deal metrics in one easy place by clicking the link to download my free spreadsheet. Don't go in blind into a real estate deal Always know your metrics beforehand. Use this calculator to do just that. Back to the show. And uh, another kind of aside, um, since stock market, since I'm not sure what the New Zealand or Australian exchange you might be using is like, since I don't invest in them myself, um, how do you end up investing in U.S. stocks? Do you go through like inter- intermediate brokerage of some sort? How does that kind of shape up?
0: Yep. So I basically have two brokers. um, One, which is just a New Zealand bank, which I use to invest in the New Zealand exchange and the Australian stock exchange. Um, And then I have another broker, uh, which I use to invest purely in the US and they specialize in in helping New Zealanders invest uh, in the US. So those are sort of the two brokers I use. And a lot of my portfolio um, sort of just naturally ends up in the US. It's not really by design again it's just one of those things which is it's where the opportunities have come up so um something that might blow you away is that the total market cap or the total sort of combined value of all the shares of all the companies in new zealand is something like 150 billion new zealand dollars which is probably 100 billion us dollars roughly Hmm. um which is like one tenth of apple right (laughs) so one tenth of apple is our whole stock market basically um (laughs) so there are a reasonable number of companies in there we just don't have massive businesses like the the largest company in new zealand might have i'll try to put this in us dollar numbers um might have a six or seven billion dollar market cap would be like our largest company Huh. So, yeah, it's minuscule in, in the grand scheme of the world, <laughs> um, which is kind of nice because there's a lot of companies that aren't all that closely followed and there's more opportunity for them to get mispriced. But there's just so many more businesses over in the US that, that I can get my head around and we have the 13F filings and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, <laughs> that's sort of just the way it ends up.
1: Just there happens to be more, more opportunities in the U.S., not necessarily yeah. better always, but just more. So you, yeah. you end up finding more. And, sure. uh, would you, would you be looking to diversify in, into the famed New Zealand real estate as well? Or, or are you going to try to stick to stocks for the foreseeable future and stocks only?
0: Yeah, I, I sort of, um, I would love to invest in real estate. It's just, again, the opportunities haven't come up. Um, I would, I would analyze those opportunities exactly like I analyze a stock basically. Um, so, so if, if that opportunity did come up, I'd, I'd jump all over it. Um, New Zealand has a very, very expensive property market right now. Um, people have been saying that for probably 15 years and it just keeps going up, but it's, um, it's, we have a very expensive property market like, um, if I was looking to buy if I was looking to buy a house in the city where I live, um, the rental yield would be maybe four or five percent on that investment before you pay any sort of expenses. So the, the returns just aren't that attractive. I guess the, the counter to that is interest rates are very low, so um, potentially it still makes sense. but it's, it's hard for me to get across the line with those sorts of numbers.
1: Yeah, and then you're taking on a lot of debt too, which is an added risk. So you need yes. an even higher return. So unless you're yep. doing leveraged uh, stock investing as it is, which doesn't sound like <laughs> you're with all the cash sitting on the side. No, definitely um, not. <laughs> yeah, um, though though there's a lot of folks dabbling in that now with all the all the freely available debt. So it's got to be got to be careful with whatever you're investing in. Yep. Um, and Tom, before we wrap up, just want to ask. Um, same thing I ask every guest. What uh, if you have any book recommendations? It uh, doesn't can be in any genre. Do you have a book that you recommend to our listeners?
0: Yeah, I'm actually listening to one currently, which I think is sitting behind you, which is Titan. Um, I'm only yeah. I'm only about a quarter of the way through that, but um, it's because it's a Goliath book. Um, I I would say if you're interested in value investing, there's a couple of different places you could start. So um, everyone references The Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham, which is sort of the Bible of value investing. And that's one of the first books I I read. Um, I will say that you're probably best to have some sort of uh, basic handle on what value investing is and some of the financial jargon that comes with that probably before you get into the intelligent investor. It is a bit dry and kind of heavy if you if you're not familiar with, with some of that stuff. So a nice alternative would probably probably actually be some of the Phil Town books. We've already talked about um, Phil Town's portfolio a little bit, but he's got um, some really good books which are the first ones that I found that sort of broke Warren Buffett's kind of investing philosophy into some key steps um so he's got a good book rule one um payback time's also good and he recently wrote a book with his daughter called invested um and invested sort of a summary of all of the things that were in rule one and payback time so if you're looking for just one to kind of summarize everything invested would would be the place to go
1: righty a lot of good stuff there and yes i do have titan sitting behind me and yes it is a long book but <laughs> yeah, it's about john d rockefeller the famous oil or infamous infamous famous however you want to spin it uh, oil yep. tycoon um and very very well done book by ron chair now um but anyways um and the, the last question i have for you tom is just uh how can our listeners get in touch with you what's your contact information if they have any questions want to reach out or learn more about what you're doing
0: Yeah, sure. So um, check out the YouTube channel, Investing With Tom. Um, I'm basically investing with Tom everywhere. So um, YouTube's the main platform, but follow me on Instagram if you like as well. Or um, if you want to shoot me an email, you can do that as well. I'm just investingwithtom at gmail.com. So uh, happy to respond to emails there as well.
1: All right. Well, thank you very much, Tom. I appreciate you coming all the way from New Zealand, even though (laughs) it's all just virtual anyways, but I appreciate it. 17 hours ahead, so I had to coordinate this little bit, but... Very glad to have you on the on the on the show and definitely congrats on ten thousand subscribers again. Love to see where your channel's gonna be heading because I'm sure it's only up right now. Just like the stock market right now. Only up. Stocks only, <laughs> Stocks go, only up, go, so. go up. <laughs> yeah. So best best of luck to you, Tom, and take care.
0: Yeah. thank you, Jack. Thanks for listening to the Jack Duffley Show. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss any new episodes. For more content on personal finance, real estate, and other topics, check out jackduffley.com.